The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Thomas Sanherjo. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. Folks, before we get to our topics tonight, I want to tell you about another show on the network that you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Star Wars, where we discuss everything about that galaxy far, far away, and uh, including Thomas, who's with us tonight. He's on that, that panel. And uh, you guys have been doing something awesome lately, which is doing some RPGing in the Star yes, Wars indeed. context. And uh, um, if, uh, I'm if, loving it. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. It sounds like fun. So if you, ha- if you haven't listened, so there's been two episodes so far. There's one where you go through like character creation uh, with Father Andrew, who's, who's a newbie at this. And it's fun you know, listening to him get into that. And then you have the first adventure. And due to popular demand, people want more. So uh, we'll get a little bit more of that coming up uh, in a few weeks. And then two months from tomorrow as the show drops, the Kenobi series launches on Disney mm-hmm. Plus, and you guys will be talking all about that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're all looking forward to that. That's um, man, that if you haven't seen the trailer yet, go watch the trailer for <laughs> Kenobi, and then yeah. listen to us geek out about uh, all of the stuff that's coming yeah. out. <laughs> uh, and from the tech viewpoint, I have a widget on my uh, on my iPhone on the screen with has a countdown to uh, Kenobi. So, <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. All right, so that's uh, the secrets of Star Wars wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. All right, let's get into today's topic. So first is a bit of a preview, I guess we, I want to call it. Uh, we had a, a listener write in who had a request, uh, and it's going to take us a little time to fulfill that request, but we had some things we wanted to say in the meantime. Uh, so listener Melanie writes in, not my wife, <laughs> uh, but uh, another Melanie. My parents have an old Mac, 24-inch, early 2009 iMac that no longer gets operating system updates, which I would add uh, means it doesn't get security updates, too. Since listening to Secrets of Tech, I think installing Linux on it would help improve the security and performance of the computer and save my parents from having to buy a new one. However, I'm not quite sure where to start. I know Linux has been discussed in the past, and I can search for older episodes, but having resources in one place would be helpful. This would be one of the geekier things I've done, so recommendations for which version of Linux to choose, something that resembles Windows or Mac and the user interface preferred, and resources that provide details on how to install it would be greatly appreciated. Well, have I got the two tech uh, panelists for you, Melanie, <laughs> uh, both Jack and Thomas. Both are interested. Father Corey is actually going to be uh, working on installing the Linux on his uh, iMac, which is the same vintage. So we're going to talk about that in maybe about a month mm-hmm. uh, because he wants to have some spend some time with it. But what do you guys think? Just as a brief, you know, inter- interview, uh, interview, introduction to the topic. Uh, what do you think, Jack? I think that that's. That's pretty much what I tell everyone to do if they have an old computer they want to keep using. Like, if your computer's like five to 10 years old and it's starting to slow down, throw Linux Mint on it and it'll be good for another five to 10 years. It, it's fast, it's lightweight, and it has all the same features that you're going to have in macOS or Windows. And it's user friendly too. It's not like how Linux used to be, even 
like five or 10 years ago, very much like you just are doing this because you want to mess around with your computer and do geeky things like that. But at this point, Linux is a viable alternative for regular users. Like I had my uh, parents' computer. It was the same thing. It was an old computer slowing down and I put Ubuntu on it and they used it like that for another three or four years and they never had any issues with it, even though they're not tech people. Okay, mm-hmm. that's cool. How about you, Thomas? Yep, I, I agree. I agree. And same distro. I recommend uh, Linux Mint. It's uh, probably the, the easiest one to transition out of Windows or Mac. Uh, you, you are going to have some interesting uh, quirks installing it on an iMac just because that's kind of the way iMacs operate. <laughs> But uh, but a lot of those have been solved for because, you know, being an older machine, uh, there have been plenty of people that have tried this and they've pushed out Mm -hmm. for updates in the open source community and the open source community responds because they love a challenge and want to try and get it to work on everything, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll gather together uh, all the resources we can find and uh, uh, we'll have Father Corey's, you know, experience doing it. And uh, we'll we'll try to get this in a, a nice format for you so that others like you, because now I'm kind of interested because I got a couple of Macs sitting here uh, in a closet that are gathering dust and a 2010 iMac included, uh, which maybe I could drag it out and, you know, set it up for my son, you know, that because I've been meaning to, I've got five kids and buying new computers for all of them would be impossible. <laughs> I don't want to have that much money. So, uh, so getting a bunch of old uh, Ma- uh, Macs set up with Linux might be the thing to do for, for them. Um, one little bit of news. So that's older Macs. If you've got a uh, Silicon Mac, you know, M1 Mac, any of those new ones in the last couple of years, uh, Asahi Linux is the first Linux distro to support Apple Silicon. They've got a, they've got it running on it. I'm not sure how well it is. Whether <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little quirky to get it going, but they got it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's something I definitely want to try on mine. I don't know if I'm probably going to wait a little bit longer because I I don't want to accidentally brick my my main recording machine. <laughs> yeah. um, but it looks like it's running and it can run alongside uh, the standard iOS install and it does not mess up your file vault, which is nice because that mm-hmm. when that when that gets messed up, then it causes a lot of weird issues with the computer. Oh yeah. Um, but apparently the things that don't work are the Thunderbolt ports, the display port, the HDMI, the Bluetooth, the GPU acceleration, video codec acceleration, the CPU deep idle, sleep mode, the camera, and the touch bar. So, <laughs> oh, look, it's all the demon stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that's if you're on a on a laptop. Does the display port or HDMI work like on a Mac Mini? Because that would be bad if it didn't. <laughs> so it looks like they've only tried it on the iPad or the i uh, MacBook Air and the new M1 MacBook Pros. I don't think okay. they've attempted it on the uh, desktop yet. Because if they don't have the video subsystem working, yeah, there's no point in trying it on a on a desktop system. So yeah, yeah. okay, all right. Well, that's that's good. I mean, they're they're working on it. You know, that's it's mm-hmm. it's the early days. It's a whole new chip architecture that they've got to get it working on. So it it, it we were I think uh, a year ago people were were unsure whether they'd even ever get to that point so it is kind of fascinating that they mm-hmm. they're they're getting there so cool yeah Very definitely cool. So, so what i said the open source community they like a challenge man yes <laughs> you tell them they can't they're gonna do it <laughs> it's uh it's like dinosaurs in jurassic jurassic park they they always find a way <laughs> yeah they always find a way <laughs> All right, let's talk about our main topic for for this uh, episode uh, if, based on another listener question. So uh, Bill Norton, listener Bill, write, wrote in via an email. He says, my two-year-old has realized that she too can tell our Google Home speakers to play music, even when mom or dad have already started a different song for her. Are there any ways to lock down which voices Google recognizes? 
how do you handle this in your homes? Well, in my house, I don't have any two-year-olds anymore, so that would be interesting to to see how it would work with two-year-olds. When when my youngest son was younger, he he had a, a bit of a stutter and a lisp, so the the echoes couldn't understand him anyways. <laughs> he would he would say you know a wakshawa, and then it would it might activate, and then he would go what 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 what, and it was I don't understand what what what. Yeah. <laughs> so so that was fine for us. Uh, now I just get, you know, bo- body humor jokes uh, constantly being asked of me yeah. all the time. So that's 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 the, the the 11 year old. Do you guys have home assistants in your house? Yeah. And I've been I've been dealing with this uh, recently with my son. He's five and he's figured out how to do that. And he also figured out because I have three uh, of the Google homes throughout the house. He figured out how to do the feature where you can play music on every single speaker in the house. <laughs> and he's been putting on, we don't talk about Bruno constantly. That's, that's beyond yeah. the pale. We've got to get you help for this. Okay. Uh, how, about, how about you, Thomas? What, what do, you, do you have any? Uh, we, ag- we actually don't have any in our house. Um, Several reasons, but uh, mostly is just that we don't use the assistant technology. We, we tried it for a little while and realized that it was just not something we were interested in. Okay. So. All right. So I did a little bit of research and the, the Bill, I'm sorry to say the short answer is there's nothing really you can do. You can't lock down the voices that Google or Echo or the HomePod recognize. There's just no way for, you can have it recognize the voice you can like train particular voices like if if you hear this voice saying put a reminder on my account like on my calendar it will put it on the correct calendar so you could do that but there's no way to say don't respond to commands from any voice but this one uh, or these two or that sort of thing which would i think be a, a real good security feature never mind for kids but like there was a problem a while ago with someone identified where if you have a smart lock that's connected to your echo or your google home and someone yells in the window unlock the front door <laughs> it will unlock the front door you know like you, you, so if you could <laughs> <My> limit <goodness. laughs> yeah if you could limit the voices it responds to i think that would be a great feature i don't it, they must not have been able to get that yet they can do it like they did in a Star Trek The Next Generation and just say like uh like Jack Berzini Alpha Alpha Echo Alpha <laughs> yes. like your, your voice code you gotta say. Right. Uh distract uh, distract zero zero, like what's in the in the this recent season of Picard where he has to do a uh yeah another self-destruct thing because you know every i think i think that would probably be uh the be, be a good way to kill the assistant though if you had to do that every time you know <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. yes i, I want to keep my two-year-old from doing it but i also want it to be useful <laughs> right exactly and that's that's the thing so we'll have some links to you know google home parental controls there are some parental controls but really they limit what they can access so the types of materials, the types of music, the types of for, you know, for ones that have video screens, the types of videos they can watch. It's that sort of thing. But there's nothing really to to block kids from it. So let's talk a little bit about then how we you know turn from a technological solution to a behavioral solution. You know, what is it? What is the best way to teach kids to 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 not do? I, I'm guessing, Jack, you haven't figured that out yet either. <laughs> or Or have you? Um, we, we have actually, uh, figured it out and he's, he's pretty respectful about it. And to be honest, I'm perfectly fine with him using it as a tool. Like, cause if he wants to play music, that's totally fine. Or he'll ask it like, what's the weather like? Or he started even asking like, if he has like questions for about things, he'll ask mm-hmm. that. And mm-hmm. 
So it's it's nice that he's learning how to use the technology in a useful way. And I think it's just the same thing that you would deal with like if your kid was, you know, turning off the TV while the TV was on or messing with your CD player, doing anything like that. It's all about what boundaries are you going to set and how do you properly use this technology? I I agree. I think in general it's like anything anything technology related there's there are two schools of thought for parenting with technology i think there's the set up the, the these uh walls and you know use a, a wall and you know lock and key approach where i, I lock them out and and in hope that they can't break through or i talk to them and mm-hmm. we come to an agreement mm-hmm. and i have to trust them and it doesn't have to be all one or the other i i use a combination of both where i have parental controls and i have screen time limitations set up on the you know wi-fi and but we also talk about it and we struggle with it i struggle with it with you know several of my kids trying to get them you know i got one child who was you know playing games and looking at youtube videos when he wasn't supposed to on on a phone we gave him that was for just listening to audiobooks and music. Mm-hmm. And so we had to take it away for a while and we mm-hmm. sat down. But we said, but it wasn't just a, I'm punishing you. It's okay, you're having trouble with this addiction to this. Like you, 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 right. rec- you felt bad about it. I recognize you feel bad about it. So let's take it away, give you some time to be separated from it, and then we'll talk about it. Why do you feel this way? How can we help you? And that sort of thing goes a lot further now when your kids too that it doesn't really work like that but <laughs> yeah what do you think they're barely getting the concept of no yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so that's kind of it's a, it's a, but but i think i think it's a good a good general practice to you know talk about that with your kids and to to raise your kids around those kind of questions because it it starts other conversations too uh right now we have an issue where i've got one of mine that plays on one of my laptops because uh, the laptops that they have, they're old, they're refurbed laptops, um, and they can't install the newest version of Java, so they can't install the newest version of Minecraft. So to play on our server, he has to use my laptop. So uh, we had a discussion the other day because he had gone into my room, gotten my laptop, brought it out to the kitchen and set it up. And I walked out and he's like, can you sign me in, Dad? And I'm like, who told you you could get the laptop? And he's like, well, I, I played on it the other day, so I just figured. So we had a big discussion about just because you get permission once doesn't mean that you have permission every time. And so it's good lessons outside of just the technology when you start mm-hmm. talking about being respectful of using it and of a shared space and of a shared use case of the technology. Right. And uh, we often in my house, like we have limits, like if you get a turn on and I, they usually use either an iPad or one of my old laptops. They get 30 minutes and they're supposed to set a timer on the Echo or on the microwave or whatever, but they're supposed to set a timer. And if they don't set a timer, if I ask how much time is left on your timer and they said I didn't set one, you get five minutes. No matter how long ago you started playing, you get five minutes. Mm-hmm. If they ignore the timer and go on, that comes out of their next turn. I had one of the children blew past this timer by an hour uh, and because I had gone to the store and come back and still on it. And I'm like, well, that's another two days. You lose it for two days because you've used two, uh, an extra two days worth of turn. And it was, oh, it's not fair. I didn't know. These, I'm, I'm not trying to punish you. I'm showing you that there's consequences. Mm-hmm. Next time you will go to extra effort to not go over and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's a struggle. It's, I'm not saying it's easy. We, it's a constant battle over, you know, turn off, you'll get, you get off the thing. Your timer's up. 
you know, have you set a timer? It's it's like all parenting. <laughs> it's just the, yeah, yeah. you don't. Know, it's not one and done. It's a constant, you know, uh, w- way of things. So, Bill, I. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I had better news for you, <laughs> better, more advice <laughs> than it's hard and you're going to have to slog through through it with your with your child. But that's the way it is. One thing, um, and who you mentioned, you had the Google Home is that they have like a little switch on the back that turns off the microphone. So, oh yeah, that's they make it easy to turn off voice access. Of course, it turns it off for everybody, but that way, if you have like a particular time when you just don't want her to be accessing it, you just flip the switch and it'll be good. That's true. The same thing with the echo. There's a button on top that you can turn off the microphone. So if you if you start music playing and then you don't want them to change it, you can turn off the microphone until it's done. So that would be mm-hmm. uh, another option. Yeah, that's a good point. Excellent. And you can still you can still even if the microphone's off, you can still access it through the Google Home app on your phone and start right. things that way. And just like with Alexa, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I didn't turn it on. I have to be careful talking about it because there's one right there waiting for me to say the say the word. It's waiting. It's waiting. What? What? Did you did you talk to me? Are you talking to me? No. Stop. I do wish that the the HomePod had a physical button on it for that sort of thing. It doesn't. Um, that that's a, a lack that uh, that it has. I mean, I. I mm. I, I don't worry about it from a privacy standpoint, but I do wish there was a way to physically turn things off and, you know, like, for example, when we're we're podcasting, I don't want it to accidentally activate. So what I have is uh, I have a shortcut that automatically runs whenever I start podcasting that sets the volume to zero on it. And that's the mm, best yeah, I can yeah. do. And not everyone's going to be able to figure that out. So. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a struggle, but hopefully these products will improve. They they want them to be part of our lives. I mean, they really want them mm-hmm. to be another plants around the house. Well, they've got to make them better for families to have them around. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. All right. Uh, so we'll have, like I said, we'll have a bunch of links in the show notes for for you on that. All right. Before we move on to some more headlines, I wanted to uh, thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Daniel P., Ben H., Catherine O., Claire P., and Father Brian Z. I'm like trying to look around my webcam. My document is right behind my webcam, so I couldn't see it. <laughs> uh, but I do want to thank them for their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, which make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Right. Our first headline that we wanted to talk about is this. uh, There's a proposed law in Minnesota that would ban algorithms to protect the children, as uh, the Ars Technica headline uh, tells us. Yes. uh, So there's a they want to pass a law that would prohibit social media platforms from using algorithms to recommend content to anyone under the age of 18. Uh, this bill has passed the first hurdle by passing the House Commerce Finance and Policy Committee, and it goes on to the to further committees and then potentially out to vote on the floor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My first reaction to this was, tell me you don't know how technology works without telling me you don't know how technology yep. works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah God, what, do you, what do you guys think? Why is this such a bad uh, proposed law? This reminds me of that story, and I... I don't know if it was Minnesota. It was another like Midwestern state. Uh, one of the representatives talked about someone hacking the HTML code of a website. Missouri. Mm-hmm. Missouri. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's it's that same <laughs> level of not understanding what you're talking about. Yes. And the reason is because, I mean, algorithm is just a program. 
It's just, yeah. and if you, to make a site useful, it has to have some way of showing you the things that are relevant to you, whether you're 12 or 72, right? Yeah. And that's, I I think that's, that's the, there's a large misunderstanding about that, that, um, because I, I think, I don't know, I think we, uh, I think, I think we get into the space where we think the computer is thinking. And that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that the computer has been given a set of if then statements and those statements have to be followed. And that's what an algorithm is. I get the impulse on the part of yeah. the lawmakers, what it, which is that social media companies are there. The way that their algorithms are written are shoveling content at all of us, including right. young people who are ill-equipped to deal with some of this content, but they're shoveling certain kinds of content at us that is that can be harmful in the in the amounts that they're being consumed. You know, we're we're seeing kids end up with drug problems and uh, you know addictions and uh, all kinds of other you know social issues because of the way that the algorithms are tuned or mm-hmm. written. But it's not like, but just a, it's it's a sledgehammer when what you need is is a you know a ball peen hammer you know it's it is uh yeah. it's over it's overly broad and thus bad which means it can be just dismissed. Well, and I and I think it's it's not it's not there. Uh, like uh, it, it seems like the intention is minors shouldn't be on on computers at all. Really, that's what it, that's kind of what it feels like. Where you're, yeah. you're just saying we're going to completely exclude this group of people. Uh, simply because uh, it just feels unsavory to say that these co- companies are going to uh, going to solve the fact that they're there, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's and that's the hard part. As a company, you're you might even be writing an algorithm that says, "Look, I don't want some of the crazy stuff that's out there to be getting to these kids and forming their opinions." So I just want to, you know set it so that that person if their age settings are this then they're not going to be getting political ads for example since they can't vote mm-hmm. uh they don't need that kind of stuff so just remove it right just make sure that the algorithm and and that's the kind of thing that you're that you're moving in on when you're moving in on this kind of setup which i understand where people might be upset like oh well everybody needs to be open open information but there is a limit to open information we all agree that there is a point at which we mm-hmm. say no anybody who's under the age of 18 should not be viewing these things online right. and they definitely shouldn't have it thrown in their face when they're involved right. in social media right and one of the issues though is advertisers and people who run political ads and people who just put garbage out on the internet they know how to trick the algorithms as they are to get around these filters already. So, and that's going to be something if they do this thing where they ban algorithms, they're just going to figure Mm -hmm. out ways around it. Like, and this goes back to our previous conversation where the problem is you don't have, you can't have a technology solution for this kind of issue. Right. Right. This is a parenting slash formation. Right. Issue, not a technology issue. Really? I mean, this is the the other part of this is that too often I see lawmakers they want to legislate technological advance, like they mm-hmm. want to like they have no idea how the technology works. They just think it's magic, and if they pass a law that demands something to happen, it will magically happen because those tech guys will figure it out. 
You know, those techies, <laughs> they're so smart. They'll just figure it out somehow. Like, like what I saw, there was a, oh, there was a proposed law in New York several years ago where they wanted to ban certain kinds of interaction with the technology in a car. And it's like, like, the tech companies are, go, are like, what? that is impossible. We can't do that. Like, oh, you'll figure it out. If we pass this law, you'll have to figure it out. It's like that That it's, doesn't necessarily hold. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's like saying that the, the rotors on helicopters are dangerous, so they should be removed. <laughs> right, right. Or they should be made not dangerous. So they should right. still work, <laughs> they should be, but they should not right. be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's... So we'll make about a Nerf <laughs> material. Yeah. So um, it's another one of those things where, you know, the 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 intention is good, but it just doesn't make any sense. Oh. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the next couple of headlines. And they're kind of all related, which is really it's the tech war against Russia. So with the, the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, a lot of with the economic sanctions that have gone in place, a lot of commercial you know, companies, industries have sort of declared war on Russia in a sense by refusing to do business with them, shutting down services there, uh, usually under pressure from public pressure. But a, a lot of people feel sort of helpless in the face of this obvious aggression against a smaller country. They really feel it's un, unjust. They see what what's going on in the news. They want to do something. And some people feel like they are in the position to do something because they control some aspect of technology that is used by a lot of people in Russia, whether it's private or public, you know, government or uh, or individuals. And so we, what we're seeing is uh, what's been described as a weaponization of open source software. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, MongoDB has cut off services in Russia, uh, several tech. Uh, it's even gone so far as one of an important um, library of, uh, software package actively deletes files on uh, systems running Russian operating systems, uh, which is really bad. Yeah, so NPM, it's yeah. So what do you guys think? I think that this this breaks open source. It absolutely does, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So why do you say that? <laughs> because the whole the whole point is that it's going to be usable by anybody and anybody can improve upon it. And if you start inserting these things, like maybe there's, you could make some legitimate argument that in this particular instance, this might not be a bad thing to do. I don't personally agree with that, but this, the floodgates are now open basically. And anyone who wants to target something now is going to be able to do that. Right. Because the whole point of open source community is that it's contributed by to, by a bunch of different people. And if you start breaking things, then you break that trust that exists. Right. So today it's this guy going after Russia and tomorrow it's somebody targeting Israel. And the next day it's somebody targeting, I don't know, anyone who's Christian or conservative or, you know, it's so Mm -hmm. it it becomes uh, this battlefield of all of these packages. Well, the other thing too, is that, you know, some of these packages like this NPM or node IPC uh, is used in, tons of software commercial mm-hmm. software all kinds of places and if they can't trust if these companies and governments can't trust this software they can't use it and it's got to be right. taken out 
even mm-hmm. if it's not yeah, you, targeted them. You have to completely excise it. And and the thing about it is, is that especially with the NPM, the, the NPM package is the one you mentioned that's deleting files. That is incredibly upsetting to me because um, it's indiscriminate. It's not uh, even ransomware operators won't attack hospitals, for example, like they have kind of a an, un, an unwritten policy that they're not going to go after ho- hospitals because it's just scummy. And, uh, you know, not everyone, because there have been instances lately where it's happened, but most of them will avoid doing that. Whereas this one is if it's running a Russian operating system, start deleting files. And that includes hospitals that might be using this in some of their code base somewhere, which is highly likely because it's a very, a very easy core uh, product to add and has been incredibly reliable and the, and the problem is is that we've just gotten to a point where open source is widely accepted inside of the private code community mm-hmm. for this to happen it just it, it spits in the face of everything that people have been working on for 30 plus years trying to get open source accepted right it, the 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 big thing to say there's even just beyond the hospitals and, and other institutions, individual Russians are not invading. <laughs> you know they're right. not the ones like they're innocent bystanders. They're as much victims of what their government is doing as as you know as you know not as the Ukrainians but as others. And so right. you know just, just indiscriminately like it would be one thing if you're targeting government computers or something along those lines, which even then is still questionable. But this is just indiscriminate and and it's mm-hmm. one guy it's just one guy who's decided to mm-hmm. do this because he's uh you know how, how does it work how does this one guy get this ability to do this in open source software he's the primary maintainer of npm so he's he's the guy that says commits can go or not uh and it, it, they don't have as robust a team looking at it to to say whether or not and then and a lot of times these are they do end up being cults of personality right where you've got one guy that wrote the code uh he started it off people joined on and started working with him but he's still the guy right he's still the one that has the main say on what's happening because he knows it the best he's been working on it the longest it's kind of his baby and so if he says oh well we're going to put this thing into play we're going to do this then not everybody has a say to stop him in that case. And so NPM is kind of the, the the worst possible example of that happening where he has the final say on the code upgrades. So he wrote one that said, if the, if the systems are running a Russian operating system, then start deleting files. And he, he gave a warning. I, I mean, to be fair, he gave a warning before anything happened that this might be a result. So anybody who was worried could have tried to create a solution for it, but a two month solution is not yeah. <laughs> two months is not enough time to try and fix that big a problem. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just like you were saying, all the innocent people who are victims of the circumstances they're in, like what about the anti-war protesters? This is, this is going to mess mm-hmm. up their computers. Like it's, it's like, the, yeah, it's, it's, I'm mad about it. Does, does this show a flaw in open source where one guy can have, like in, potentially one guy can have all this power over something that that is vital to millions of computers. It, it does in the sense that a code base uses so many different open source projects that it's hard to it's hard to navigate um, that minefield. So if, if just just from the perspective of, of a, a large company using uh, a a project that has some open source 
portion of it. Uh, the large company is going to require that whatever company they're working with that they've bought that solution from to have some sort of check and balance so that that kind of thing can't happen. So you can't have one rogue guy in the com in, in the, the vendor just going crazy and making stuff not work, but they aren't necessarily going to have that same level of control over every piece of code that went into building that project. Mm -hmm. And this, this adds so much red tape to anything that you're trying to do to get an open source project included in whatever you're doing. Right, and, right. and at the, at the very best, what this ends up doing is making these companies steal the open source code and rewrite it for themselves in a closed environment. And so it takes away all the benefits of the open source and basically just makes uh, pirate versions of, of the open source software that the company is now writing in-house uh, to get done what they need to get done. Yeah, my my hope would be that he'll get enough blowback on this, that he'll correct this and there'll be some more checks and balances in the NPM project going forward. Mm -hmm. But I haven't seen a lot of people reacting negatively like and like some like tech people are upset by it but the way public opinion is about these things for some reason like people seem to be okay with this and that's that's worrying too yeah uh, is uh, now i'll betray my ignorance but is it possible to fork the project so that uh, to create a, a a version of it because it's open source to create a version of npm that is separate and and maintained by different people that you know, pledge not to include this sort of stuff. Yes. Um, the, the problem is, is that if, if you have a project that already includes NPM, you have to know, and then you have to know to go to this other project okay. to, and then, you know, maybe this new group does, has a different roadmap. They have a different plan and you've already planned out your next six months to a year of using NPM's roadmap and now you got a whole new crew that you got to work with so you have to relearn the entire ecosystem for it yeah. so it can happen uh and i hope i mean it probably will i don't i don't foresee I, I definitely don't foresee this particular person being in charge of npm any longer and it maintaining any kind of user base mm -hmm. uh but but it's hard it, i mean it, it's it, the the poison that it puts into the entire open source community makes it so difficult Right. I, I cannot support this guy at all. I think this is a terrible move. This is absolutely horrible for open source. Yeah. And while his idealism is, it, it, I mean, it's, it's not even admirable because it's so, it's just so wanton. It's like, there's no focus to it. It'd be like distributing like random poisoned candy bars right. into Russia for people to yeah. eat. Like you're hurting people who have nothing to do with what's going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And as you said, it undermines the concept of open source as a viable software solution. Uh, and it, yeah, it really poisons, poisons the well. And uh, yeah. who knows mm -hmm. who's going to, who's going to suffer from it. So uh, it's, it is interesting to, to see the different ways that people react. Like, you know, I'd be curious to see how, like in like in World War Two, how I don't think there was the same level of ability of individuals to say fight back against the Nazis from, you know, America. You know, you could go mm -hmm. over there and fight. But uh, but the, the, we're in a different era where some people can sit at a keyboard and take actions like this that wouldn't have been able to do it, uh, like this before. Well, but but that's that's actually that's I, I take on take on that and it's a really good example of thinking about that is that 
um, Japanese internment camps mm-hmm. in the U.S. Uh-huh. were were a similar kind of bad idea, right? Where it's uh, we're just going to take we're going to round up all the people that kind of look Asian yeah. and we're going to put them in these internment camps because we can't trust any of them, right? And it's like that do- that doesn't solve any problem. It right. just it makes more makes a really bad situation <laughs> worse. Right. Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. It's that same. That's the same sort of mindset. Yeah, you, you mm-hmm. are. You know, we. We attack a class of people. We attack a group of people based on a broad membership in it. And, mm-hmm. and it's and it's an indiscriminate attack. So, yeah, that is similar. Yeah. And that's been we've been seeing that happen, like with I heard, I heard of a bar that is not allowed to serve white Russians anymore or <laughs> them removing Dostoyevsky and Tchaikovsky from things like I'm honestly surprised that. Yeah, that and that's the attitude that so many people have taken. Yeah. yeah. What was it? The uh, Wisconsin Mustard Museum put up a sign that they will not be displaying the Russian mustard exhibit until the war is over. <laughs> well, that'll show Putin. <laughs> uh, it's freedom fries all over again. <laughs> In some ways it is. It is. Uh, all right. Uh, let's turn to our next headline. This is a cool one. This, I always try to have like a, one, one like cool headline. This is this company called Quay's Energy, which is a cool name. Plans to dig the world's deepest hole to unleash uh, the the fires of hell. I mean, boundless energy. Because <laughs> if you're gonna dig a deep hole, who knows what you're gonna hit? They're gonna. It's basically they're 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 doing um, the geothermal on a scale unheard of. Geothermal power uh, on a scale unheard of. They're going to dig a hole that is much deeper than the the even. Next mo- deepest hole, which was dug by the Russians, I think it was. Yeah. Um, yep. And I, I don't have a, like the let's see the deep the previous deepest hole was, was seven and a half miles, I think seven and a half miles, and they want to go up to twenty kilometers, which is I don't do the math on my head, but is a lot further. I think they they're talking about like twice as far, like fifteen miles or more uh, mm-hmm. on some of these holes, and it's really hard to dig deep because the pressures get really high the heat of course gets really high and then you've got to deal with things like how do you get all of the rock you're digging out of the hole up seven and a half miles or 15 miles and how do you keep the hole the hole from collapsing and all these other problems well these guys who are former they're they're a spin-off from mit they think they've come up with a solution where they use the something called like millimeter wave laser beam thingies i don't know it sounds like phasers (laughs) to me um to to, we we will simultaneously drill and turn the 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 borehole interior to glass so that it solidifies it so that it uh, will not collapse and the idea is you you pump water down it becomes superheated thus gaining energy then when it comes up it runs turbines and it's basically free free electricity Mm -hmm. Uh, once you've got the hole dug, so what do you guys think of this? I, I love the fact that they are they are building fiber optic cables into the ground to then empty them out and dump water into them to make infinite power. This is the <laughs> world we live in, and and yeah. this is not nobody's like nobody's looking at this going. This is complete science fiction. This is ridiculous. They're actually getting funding. They're mm-hmm. actually like they have yep. a solid enough base that this is going to work at least theoretically well enough for people to give them money to try it out <laughs> yeah it's even if they're not successful it's still awesome and i really hope they are i love i love feats of extreme engineering like this 
So it's cool to see this going on. Yeah, the article I, I was reading about this in my in the local paper because they're a local company here. They they talked to a bunch of like geologists and in you know all these experts in the field, and they said there are definite hurdles here. There are definite problems that could crop, crop up that could render this complete. But the science is solid. Like if they can, mm-hmm. you know, like it, everything looks right. Like the drilling. Yeah, that looks good. If you can get it down there. Sure. You know, the, you could end up. They, one of the things they worry about is um, uh, uh, when they pump the water down, causing earthquakes. They're, they're afraid of. Or, so they, they will only drill in places that are stable that don't have, uh, you know, fault lines. Of course, that would be really dumb to drill into a fault line and pump water in uh, because you've seen like when with uh, fracking and other uh, sort of uh, um, sorts of drilling that pumps stuff into the ground that it can cause earthquakes and other instabilities can, can pollute groundwater and that sort of stuff. But like they're accounting for all this stuff. They figure all this stuff out and all the experts are saying it could be. I mean, this it, it, it there's nothing that on paper that looks like this is impossible. I just think this is awesome because t- to lay it on the line, this would provide power on the level of nuclear fusion. Like nuclear fusion is is the is one of the holy grails of, you know, clean power because it's not like nuclear fission, which splits the atom and creates waste. Nuclear fusion is the opposite. I think the the result of nuclear fusion is like water in, in air, like oxygen or something. It's like clean um, mm-hmm. or or solar or wind or hydropower. Uh, which all have their costs. This is ultra clean and unlimited. As long as the earth stays hot, which as far as we know, it's going to stay that way longer than humans are around. Uh, it should, it it should just keep, uh, pump up power for everyone. I think that's amazing. Uh, so I don't know when they think they're going to be able to, um, they think that they can, by 2028 is one of the things they said is they're going to retrofit, coal-fueled power plants into geothermal energy hotspots. So that's that's only six years out. I, I'm fascinated by the idea that we could be six years away from 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 this kind of technology. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see. The, the next trick is getting it close enough to be able to use it. That's the, because um, that's your eternal problem with power is having it close enough to be able to use it. <laughs> right. You, yeah, you're still going to have the grids that you got to pump it through and the the mm-hmm. big power lines and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, getting energy from here to there is the big yeah. one. But ideally, if if they can get this cheap and um, because I mean it's kind of inherently safe. Like there's mm-hmm. not really much to it that's unsafe. It's clean, so yep. there's not a, a big worry there. So really, if they can get it cheap enough and can scale it down enough, you could have this very close to uh, most places given enough thought process and and working around some of the issues that come up right so yeah we'll see the like benefit you is all go ahead the benefit of this is also pretty much everywhere other than like the tops of mountains is going to be equidistant from the power source so mm-hmm. you don't have the same hurdles you do with other uh like using like with the wave generators or the wind things like you can go down at any point in the earth and you're going to hit the mantle right right but again you want to avoid fault line so you're not going to build one you know in in the bay area you know or los angeles but that's why you run power lines you know you run mm-hmm. power lines from a more stable area to there i mean i suppose if you built it in like death valley that's pretty low so you have to you probably wouldn't have to dig as far <laughs> i don't know how it works. i'm just i'm just speculating 
but uh, well, I just love that it's only 12 miles like that's yeah when you when you start wrapping your head around the fact that the, the deepest we've ever dug a hole is seven miles it just starts to kind of unravel everything we know yeah well given how big the earth is yeah i mean given that it's it's you know was it uh twelve thousand miles through i forget what the the diameter of the earth is um i could probably ask my echo if i didn't turn it off um uh, yeah but uh you one of you quickly google it while I, <laughs> while i say but but when you think of how deep the earth is like how big it is and we've only barely like literally to scale if you scratch the outside of an egg you've probably scratched a deeper groove Mm -hmm. than we've dug into the earth i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's the amazing thing so there's so much to it and seven seven thousand nine hundred twenty six miles okay yes so pi r yeah two pi r so yeah um so seven miles seven thousand nine hundred twenty six miles you know it's like it's a fascinating idea you don't have to go very far to get all of this energy and then you know it's even further down is wild um i want to know uh the hollow earth uh theorists take on this are (laughs) are they excited or are they worried (laughs) if we dig the hole in they can plug into their power source we'll just run a line down and they can plug us into whatever their power source is uh yeah or the dinosaurs down there will be I've watched yeah. you, the journey to the center of the earth. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, yeah. It's a, <laughs> we're going to discover some interesting stuff either way. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's exciting. I think this is probably the most, ex- most exciting, like clean energy initiative uh, out there for me. Like, I think, I feel like fusion has, has always been like, we're almost at the point where we can make a self-sustaining fusion reaction, but not quite for a long time. Uh, and I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we will be able to make fusion reactors that are commercially viable, but this seems mm. like something that could be commercially viable in my lifetime anyway. Yeah. No, Mr. Fusion. Yeah, Mr. Fusion. That's right. Put it on the back of my DeLorean. Uh, <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, those are our headlines this week. We should move on to our picks of the week. Before we do, I do want to mention something new uh, that we just started here at SQPN, which is our new Discord server. And I'm not. I'm gonna have to put a link in the show notes. And in fact, what I'll do is I'll make a link at sqpn.com/discord, D-I-S-C-O-R-D. And if you go there, it'll take you to our new community. Discord is a uh, is a is an online community space where people can join and chat. And the idea is to bring together all of you with us. And we can have conversations and it doesn't have to be on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we'll still have those places, but this is a place that's just for us. And so we've we just launched it literally today as we're recording this uh, literally several hours ago. And already there's a lot of people who've who've uh, joined up. A lot of our patrons are there. And so we'd love to see you uh, join us there. So if you go to sqpn.com slash discord, I really hope I need to make a note to set that up before this show (laughs) goes out. Uh, Hopefully I've done that and you are able to click on that link Uh, and go check it out and see what you think. And we'd we'd love to see you there. Uh, So let's go to our picks of the week. Uh, Jack, why don't you go first? My pick of the week is not a product or a service. It's uh, the new feature update on macOS and iPadOS, uh, Universal Control. Uh, basically, what it allows you to do is use your Mac keyboard and uh, either your mouse or your touchpad to control your iPad. And it's different from the older, um, I think it was called Sidecar, where basically your iPad became an extended screen, which is okay for some things, but I've never really found it to be that useful. But what I do do a lot is have my iPad and my Mac next to each other. 
um, when I'm working on different things and have different apps running. So it's nice to be able just to be able to control all of that from just one uh, interface now. And it's it's pretty seamless. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I was raving about it last time last time because uh, I had just installed it. So I didn't have a lot of time to play with it ahead of time. But uh, yeah, and the the uh, the other part end of it is true. If you have a keyboard and trackpad attached to the iPad, you mm-hmm. can control the Mac with it, which is kind of wild. So you can sit across the room and uh, control your Mac from across the room on your on your iPad. Uh, it is really wild. It's it's it is seamless. And I haven't run any, into any issues where uh, there were glitches or anything like that. It's really fun. Excellent. Good pick. That's cool. Uh, Thomas, what's your rec- uh, pick this week? All right. So mine is another. Mine is also not a, uh, a specific product, but just kind of a general recommendation. I found myself over the last month or so um, talking with people about what kind of laptops they can buy. People are interested in buying a new laptop, and uh, and so then I get into asking them what they're going to use it for because I have my standard go tos that I recommend for whatever they're going to use it for. And I've had several people tell me that they're interested in doing media related things, so recording. They're interested in doing video. They're interested in uh, editing pictures or doing some kind of digital art and they're surprised when i recommend to them that they get a gaming laptop uh and and the reason for that is i i don't know i haven't seen them lately i haven't seen anything marketed as a media laptop it's typically just marketed as a gaming laptop but a gaming laptop has all the stuff in it that you need for doing that digital manipulation so it's got a a graphics card on board that's separate from the actual uh main motherboard and cpu um it's got a little bit of extra ram so it's a little bit beefier uh typically it'll have a larger hard drive and possibly even a solid state drive in it that's uh that's usable and separate from a a larger storage drive as well uh so i i look at them uh, Jack and I were talking before the show and we were saying that what turns a lot of people off is the uh, the look of them because they'll have these backlit keyboards that have, you know, like this weird uh, LED light system in them or they'll have certain keys marked out because they're typical gaming keys or something like that. Get past that because... <laughs> It is actually a really good purchase. And, and I make this recommendation specifically because my daughter, who we were getting her a new laptop, uh, she said to me, oh, well, I want to be able to do graphic design on it. And I want to be able to make 3D, uh, 3D uh, drawings and things like that. And I was like, OK, well, I'll get you a gaming computer. And she's like, but I don't I don't want a game on it. I just want to do these things. And I'm like, I know, but the gaming computer is going to have all that stuff. <laughs> right, right. That is. Yeah, that's true. The the If you want all of the power you gotta the gamers need that power to run the games so that's where mm-hmm. you gotta look so mm-hmm. good pick good 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 advice so my pick this week is something cool uh that i just i just picked up myself it is the ember temperature control mug now see i love i love my coffee in the morning and i yeah i can't get going without it like a lot of people but what happens is I I get my coffee, I sit at my desk, and I get working, and I I sip because it's too hot. Oh, you know I can't can't drink it right away. Gotta sip it, <laughs> and then I forget, and I go to drink it, and it's now it's like lukewarm. It's not even iced coffee. It's just lukewarm coffee. Nobody likes that. So uh, there, I've tried a lot of different gimmicks over the years. I've tried the uh, the little heater pad, like the low tech. Uh, in fact, what um, we had a, a listener suggestion of of that this a few weeks ago of like it's a pad that sits on your desk and you put the mug on it and it warms it up and it's okay i mean your mug is usually insulated to begin with so the this, there's only so much heat that goes through it and it's very 
power intensive. Uh, and I don't really, and I also don't like having a hot thing on my desk for me to accidentally put stuff on. Um, or, you know, I, I, you could have a, a insulated travel mug. I don't want that at my desk. You know, I'll take it in the car. Um, I even had these things uh, called Julie's, which were a Kickstarter from years ago, where these guys had come up with this phase change material that when placed in a hot liquid in the interior, the material inside this metal uh, casing would they didn't they weren't exactly forthcoming on exact. It was proprietary. So it was kind of secret, um, but it would absorb the heat and then slowly release it over time so that it was supposedly going to keep your drink warmer over a long period of time. It never really worked as well as the, they claimed. So all that is like precursor to say. Cube. Yeah, right, right. It's, it is an anti-ice cube. Uh, that's actually kind of a good way to describe it. Anyway, um, all that is precursor to me describing the Ember temperature control mug. This is a smart mug. Okay, because of course it is. It has uh, it. It's got Bluetooth in it. It's got a battery and a heater in it and a charging pad. And so what you do is you charge it up on this pad overnight, or you know over the course of a few hours. And when you make your coffee, it detects that the that it's now got liquid in it and starts heating. Turns up to a certain heat. You can set the heat to a particular temp. Um, the the lower the temp, the more longer battery life you get. So it's a it's a balancing act. Uh, and then when the temp reaches the target temp, it keeps it there and we'll keep it there depending on the size of the mug and the te- and the time. But uh, for mine, it's like 90 minutes or so, like about an hour and a half. I get out of I can get out of the mug. And if I don't drink my coffee in an hour and a half, it's like I, I'm not going to be, you know, there's no <laughs> point in drinking it. Drink the mug, drink yep. the coffee. Um, so it's I've had it for a few weeks now. It's not cheap. I mean, it's 130 bucks. They actually just went up in price. They had a, they sent out a notice saying, you know, buy now because we're going to raise the price because it's uh, of inflation and all that stuff. So the prices have gone up recently, but it's it's still not the cheapest thing out there. I, I get it. Uh, but my wife said, look, you drink enough coffee and you probably throw <laughs> enough of it away that once it's lukewarm and cold and, you know, heating up in the microwave is never good. Um, you might as well do this. And so I, I picked it up and it's really it really is awesome. And uh, I always have a nice hot cup of coffee. Um, and so uh, they I'm, also... I'm not a big fan of goop, but, but yeah. I like their statement about it on the, on the website. It uh-huh. says Goldilocks would have appreciated this mug. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not too hot, nice. not too cold. Just right. Yes. That's exactly it. They also have a travel mug version, which is kind of cool. And you can buy like extra charging pads. So you can have one charging pad by the coffee maker to charge it up overnight and then one on your desk potentially to keep it charged. So you, you don't, you know, that 80 minutes doesn't run out. So um, it's kind of cool. I, uh, it's, it's a nice little, uh, you know, uh, improvement, life, lifestyle improvement, just say not a necessity, mm-hmm. but it's a nice thing to have. So let's uh, wrap it up there. We would love to hear from you what you think of our discussion or anything we talked about today. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Starquist Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. Or now you can go to our Discord and uh, leave it there in the Secrets of Technology channel at sqpn.com slash Discord. 
You can find links from our discussion and Picks of the Week on our show notes at sqpn.com. We'd also love to, if you want to write in with topic uh, suggestions or questions that you'd like us to address, we, we'd love to hear from you on that. Follow The Secrets of Tech in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at our YouTube channel where you should also hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, Thomas Anderho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. It's been great. Thanks, Tom. Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.